you would help me to say uh, the things that you want me to say, and uh, that we would be able to learn something from the Bible, and that we would be able to be challenged from your word. We love you, Lord. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Okay, well, by way of introduction, I want you to uh, go back to Acts chapter number 4, and just look at the last uh, two verses of uh, chapter number 4. Let's see. Actually, not the last two verses. Let's go back to Acts 4.34. Uh, the last four verses there, 4.34. Just so you can understand what's going on. I don't know that we uh, really uh, hit on these verses that much last week. But Acts 4.34 says, Neither uh, was there any among them that lacked. Now, you you got to understand, uh, in this time, they're, they're starting to go through persecution. I mean, we saw there in Acts 4 that the... Uh, uh, Apostles Peter and John were taken there uh, to the high priest and all those things, and they have to stand before them and, and all of that. And if you look at verse 34, it says, Neither was there any among them that lacked. And it says, For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold. When you see that word for there, after the, the first phrase, uh, phrase, there's a colon, then it says for. That word for there means because. And the Bible is saying, neither was there any among them that lacked, because as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the price of the things that were sold. So if these people at this young church, these Christians who uh, possess lands and houses and stuff, if they would not have sold those things and given the money to the church so that the church could help these people, these people would have lacked. But the Bible says, neither was there any among them that lacked, because... They were giving to it. And if you look at verse 35, it says, And laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Make note of the word there, distribution was made. They brought the money to the apostles' feet, and the apostles took that money. They didn't keep it for themselves. They didn't buy nice houses. You know, they weren't like the modern TV evangelists. They took that money and they distributed. They they helped the, the, the family there, and they were helping their church people because they were uh, starting to go through persecution, through Hardship, and there was people that needed help. Um, look down at verse number thirty-six. The Bible says, "And Joseph, who being who who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas. Barnabas is going to be somebody who we're going to become very familiar with in the book of Acts. He's a great uh, character in the book of Acts. But the Bible says his name was Joseph, uh, who the apostles surnamed Barnabas. And it says, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. The Bible says that Joseph was surnamed, or he was given this, this name by the apostles of Barnabas, and the Bible says, which is being interpreted, because it's a different language, it means the son of consolation. That word consolation there means, uh, it's talking about when you console somebody, consoling or giving comfort to somebody. And the Bible says that this man had a way of life where people said, man, you know, he's constantly comforting or consoling or helping. And it's not a coincidence. You know, nothing in the Bible is a coincidence. It's not by chance that God... Uh, lets us know that his name used to be uh, Joseph and what his name was changed to when we're told about him taking his own property, selling it, and giving the money to the church. I think that God is telling us that bit of information and showing us an example of how this man uh, comforted others. He took, his, he took his land, he sold it, he brought the money uh, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And, and, they, and, and this might be one of the reasons why they surnamed him Barnabas, which being interpreted the son of consolation. 
You know, we see here a beautiful picture of the Christian faith and the, the, this young New Testament church and people just stepping up and giving and helping. And you know, that's true of Christians today. I mean, you look at these, uh, these things that happened in, in Missouri with the, with the uh, hurricane or the tornadoes that they had and all that stuff. You know, and the one thing the media won't tell you is that the uh, overwhelming amount of support that they're getting down there is not coming from the government. I mean, the government, I'm sure, is helping, whatever. But the overwhelming amount of, of uh, people that are helping, you know, and, and putting people up and, and doing that stuff, you know what it is? It's churches. It's Christianity. And Christianity has always been a, uh, a, a, a group of people that are willing to give and to sacrifice and to help people. I mean, the Bible talks about how we ought to help people, and that's really what we're seeing here. You know, and I'm always surprised because, you know, you don't really hear of, like, you know, these Muslim you know, temples, just giving out all sorts of money to charity or stepping in and helping. But you always hear about Christians just giving money and helping, you know, and that's a good thing. It's something we ought to do. My wife's uh, sister, uh, they have some sort of, she lives in Tennessee, they had some sort of a, a natural disaster there uh, recently, just a few months ago. I, you might have heard about it on the news or whatever. And she works in a hotel and she was telling my wife how they just have a list of like all these churches that people that are just paying you know, for people's hotels because they just lost their houses. You know, but you don't really find synagogues or all these other religions doing it. You just find Christians doing it. And that's really part of our faith. You know, that's, that's something we, we should do. And obviously this was, you know, it's not, we, we preach about this, it's not just a handout giving people money that don't want to work. The Bible says if you don't want to work, you shouldn't eat. But obviously in, in certain situations when it's needed, uh, we ought to have this attitude of giving. But anyway, the reason I'm going through this is because I want you to understand, um, this is where chapter number 4 left off. We got this story about Barnabas giving his money and selling the land. And I'm sure Barnabas got maybe a lot of praise for that, got a lot of thanks for that, got a lot of admiration for that. People were thinking, wow, what a great man of God. They even changed his name and said, you know, you should be called Joseph because you comfort people and you console people. And with that in mind, if you look at verse number 1 of Acts chapter number 5, the chapter starts with this word, but... The idea continues of these Christians who were giving and who were helping. And then we get into the story of Ananias and Sapphira. But the Bible says, but. And we're going to see a contrast here. He says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And we get into this real famous story here, which all of us, I'm sure, have heard about Ananias and Sapphira. And the Bible says they sold a possession. And kept back part of the price, his wife also being uh, private, that, that word there means having knowledge of something private, she, she was aware of what was going on, she was in on the deal. And the Bible says his wife also being private to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. You know, we, we see here, and uh, the, the, the problem with Ananias and Sapphira, and, and we'll see here in a little while, it, it becomes pretty clear, is not that they kept back the money. The problem is that they were wanting, see they just saw Barnabas, I'm sure, give a lot of money, get a lot of praise, get a lot of respect. They even changed his name. They say, wow, you're such a comforter. Wow, you're such a consoler. Wow, you're such a great Christian. And now they want to have that same admiration of men. But they don't want to do the same sacrifice that Barnabas did. And they come in and they lie about the money they gave. And the Bible says, and Adamus and Brian, you know, uh, they, they were more interested in getting the praise of men than getting the praise of God. And the truth of the matter is that God is more interested 
and why we do things than what we do. You know, so often we, in, in, in religious circles, will sort of form a checklist of, of God wants me to do this, God wants me to do that, God wants me to dress this way, God wants me to dress that way. And, and trust me, there, there's nothing wrong with that. I believe in all of that. And I believe, you know, you ought to do right even if you don't, you know, if you don't want to do right, you still ought to do right because it's the right thing to do. But God is just as interested in why you do what you do, not just, you know, that we're doing it. Let me give you an example. Go back with me to the Old Testament, to 1 Samuel chapter number 15. Look at verse number uh, 13. 1 Samuel chapter number 15. We'll read a few verses here. 1 Samuel 15, 13. We find the story of Saul. If you remember, uh, God had came to Saul and told him that he wanted, to, he wanted him to uh, uh, go to war and destroy the Amalekites. And God had told Saul that he was to uh, go there and he was to destroy everything. He was supposed to kill everyone, so he was to kill every animal. He was supposed to burn everything. He wasn't supposed to keep anything. God wanted it all destroyed. If you look at 1 Samuel 15, 13, the Bible says, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandments of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears? And the lowing of the oxen which I hear? So Samuel shows up after the battle, and, and he's showing up, you know, to to talk to Saul there. And Saul says, Hey, I, I performed God's commandment. I won the war. You know, I did it. And, and Samuel asked him, Why do I hear sheep? Why do I hear oxen? Because Samuel knew that God had told Saul to destroy everything. Look at verse 15. And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. Look what he says. To sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Notice Saul, that sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, Saul's saying, look, we destroyed everything, but we took the best of the best, and we brought it not for ourselves, we just want to sacrifice it to God. But look at verse 16. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy. Notice what God said. Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey, I want you to make note of that word, obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and it's evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, Saul can say, Well, I didn't bring this for myself. I, I, we brought the best of it for God. We're going to sacrifice to God. But is that what God told you to do? God told you to destroy everything. Look at verse 20. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought uh, Agag, the king of, the, uh, of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, notice now he begins to blame the people. He says, But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, and sheep uh, of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. So now notice he's saying, Well, I was, I was doing right, but the people. But here's the problem, Saul, you're the leader. You know, you're the one who's going to take the uh, punishment or for what the people do. And he, but then he tries to give the excuse again. He says, well, they, they took it to sacrifice unto the Lord. No, no, he said, the Lord thy God in Gilgal. He, he's trying to justify what they're doing. Look at verse 22. And Samuel said, and, and notice this, because this, this story teaches a lot about 
character of God. In verse 22, the Bible says, And Samuel said, Have the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obey the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. You see there, God, the Bible's so clear in the fact that God is less interested in you having a great sacrifice and a great, you know, having a great delight and having a great sacrifice and giving that, he's more interested in you obey and just doing what he said than maybe having a great sacrifice. You know, well, I brought it for you, God. Yeah, but is that what I asked you to do? And God is more interested in why you do what you do and in obeying what he said to do than in you giving him a sacrifice. And Ananias and Sapphira here, they were bringing something to God, but God was more interested in their heart. God was more, more interested in what they the reason they were doing it and God says look I'd rather just you obey Jesus said this you don't have to turn there you can go back to Acts chapter number 5 but in Matthew 23 and verse 27 Jesus said woe unto you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for ye are like unto whited sepulchres which indeed appear beautiful out, appear beautiful outward but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And there Jesus gives an example of the Pharisees and He says, you're like a sepulcher, you're like this whited sepulcher. He's, he's talking about, you know, where you bury a dead person. He says on the outside you look so nice. On the outside you've got this nice, you know, uh, maybe uh, flowers and a nice stone there and a nice monument and on the outside it looks nice, but in the inside there's just dead men's bones. That's what your life is. You look so nice and righteous on the outside, but on the inside you're just full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And that's really what Ananias is about. On the outside, to the people, they were looking like, wow, look at these Christians, they gave, such, they gave all, all their money and they're giving it to the poor and they're wanting to feed. But God was interested in what was going on in the inside. Look at Acts chapter 5 and verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? See, Ananias and Sapphira, their mistake was that they did not take God into consideration. They did not take God into consideration. They sat down and they had this plan and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to sell it to this person over here. We're going to make sure that information so they get back to the church. And then we're going to take this money and we're going to put it over here, put it in the savings account. Maybe we're going to go on this nice vacation. I don't know what they decided they were going to do with it, but they took certain, and they, they had this plan. They said, and then we're going to take it to the church and we're going to lay it at the apostles' feet. And, and they agreed, you know, you're going to, if they ask you, we sold it for this much. And they did all these plans, but what they did not consider was that God knows everything. God knows what we're doing. God knows what we're thinking. God can see, you know, the Bible says in Proverbs 15, 13, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And if we would remember that, it would cause us to, you know, it would keep us from so much pain and sin. If we just remember, if no one's watching, God is still watching. The Bible says He's beholding the evil and the good. You know, sometimes we, we do right. Sometimes we do right by people and they hurt us and they lie about us. And, and, and they, and, but you know what? God saw that too. 
Bible says, be not deceived, God is not mocked for whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And that's good side and bad side. You, you bless people and you do right by people and they hurt you and they lie about you and they, you know, they, they stab you back. Hey, don't worry about it. God isn't mocked. God's keeping the score in heaven. He knows what's going on. But if you notice there, I, I, I like this. Peter said, why hath Satan filled thine heart? To lie to the Holy Ghost. Notice Peter says that it was Satan who filled his heart. You don't have to turn there. Well, actually, just you can go there real quickly with me. John chapter number 8. Look at verse number 44. John chapter number 8 and verse 44. It's interesting that he says that Satan fills his heart. Because in John 8.44, the Bible says, John 8.44, Ye, this is Jesus speaking, Ye are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. Notice what it says about the devil. This is what Jesus said. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. Now Jesus said about the devil that he was the father of lies. You remember the first time we, he, we hear the devil speak in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. The first time we see the serpent speak. What does he say? Yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden. Next, and then uh, Eve explains to him that, oh, well, we're, you know, exactly what God said. And then, you know, that we're not supposed to eat of it and we're going to die. And, and, and then the next thing that the serpent says is this, you shall not surely die. You know, the first things we hear the devil say in the Bible are two lies. And the Bible said, Jesus said about the devil that, the, every, that he's the father of, the lie, of lying. Everything he says is a lie. He says there's no truth in him. And it's interesting because, you know, we need to understand when we allow ourselves to lie, you know, I know sometimes we think of a lying like, oh, it's such a small sin. But when we allow ourselves to lie, we're really allowing the devil to have a ministry in our lives. We're allowing the devil to use us. Because every time we lie, it's the devil doing it. And, you know, don't use it, the devil made me do it. No, you did it, but you allowed the devil to have a ministry. Uh... In your life. I know, I know you guys are good thinking. Oh, that's a good excuse. I'm going to use that. <laughs> Look at verse number 4. Acts chapter 5 and verse 4. I, I like verse 4. It says, this is what Peter said. Speaking about the money. Acts 5, 4. Speaking about the money that they had. Peter says, and this is a pivotal part of this story. you got to understand. He said, whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold. Was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. You know, I, I really I like Peter's uh, attitude, and I like the Bible's attitude towards money in the ministry, and I, I tr- attempt to have the same attitude in in. Uh, when, when it comes to money, no. Notice Peter isn't. You know, mad, he's not mad about the fact that they didn't bring all the money. He's not mad, you know, he's saying you lied to God. But notice what he says about the money. He says, look, Ananias, it was your money. He said, while it remained, he said, before you sold it, was it not thine own? He said, we didn't force you to give it to you. We didn't tell you to give it to us. We didn't preach a 13-week series as to why you got to give, you know, sell all your money. We didn't have a four-check Sunday, you're not heard of church. Four-check Sunday where you give your entire paycheck to the church. You know how unbiblical it is 
for a church to ask you to give your entire paycheck to the church? I mean, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, people got kids and families and ranks, you know. I mean, I, I've been to churches, and I've heard of multiple churches, full church Sunday, you know. And all these churches have these series about giving money and giving money. But is that Peter's attitude? He says, look, it was your money. He said, while it remains, was it not thine own? And he says, and after it was told, was it not in thine own power? He said, why? So you think Peter wasn't interested in money. Peter didn't care about money. All these people were bringing money, you just give it away. People were giving money, you just give it away. People were giving money, you just give it away. Somebody asked him for money, he said, hey, silver and gold, have I not? You think he cared? But he's just saying, look, Ananias, it was your money. You could have kept it, you could have not given it, or you could have given what you gave and just not lied about it. See, Peter didn't have this attitude about money, give me, give me, you know, you, like these TV evangelists with all, send in your check and send in your money and I'm going to sneeze on this handkerchief and I'm going to send it to you, it's going to heal you, you know, and it's going to be $15 or whatever. Like these new, you know, churches today have this attitude where everything's got to be money. Money, money. You want a Bible? I'll sell it to you. You want a preaching city? I'll sell it to you. You want a hymn book? I'll sell it to you. At Verity Baptist Church, we sell nothing. Because... I don't, we don't care about money. I, I, I have the same attitude. You know, if you want to give, you know, if you want to sell your house and donate to the church, hey, praise the Lord. If you don't, I don't care. You say, what's your attitude towards money? Well, while it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? You know, give it if you're going to give it, but don't lie about it, is what Peter's saying. And he's saying, look, it was yours. You had the choice. You know, the Bible says that we have liberty. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, you have to turn there. The Bible says, Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Do you know that we all not have rules in church, you must do this, you must not do that. You know, and and here's the truth of the matter. So many churches have all these rules to try to get people, you know, they'll say, if you're going to work in the nursery, you got to do this, and if you're going to be a Sunday school teacher, you got to do this, you got to, if you're going to serve, you know, and they make people and force people to do things, you can't find that in the Bible. And if a pastor would just get up and preach the Bible without, you know, uh, asking for apologies and asking for forgiveness, just preach the Word of God, you wouldn't have to have any rules. Because you would just preach it and people would know what the Bible says. And if they do it, praise the Lord. And if they don't, that's between them and God. You know, but I like Peter's attitude here in regards to money. He says it was yours. We didn't force you to give it. We didn't ask you to give it. We didn't preach a 13-week series on to why you ought to give it. You chose to give it because you wanted to have the praise. But you know, here's what the Bible does teach about money. And I, you know, I don't like to preach about money uh, in regards to you know, people giving money. But I do like to preach on this subject of money. God uses money, I'll prove it to you in a second. God uses money as a test of our heart to be able to prove how our heart is. Let me prove it to you. Go, to, go with me to Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6. And look at verse number 19. Matthew chapter number 6 and verse 19. Matthew 6, 19. God is more interested. Let me say this. God is more interested in obedience and sacrifice. And let me just give this example, just because just I can't really think of another example when we're talking about giving right now. But you know, I believe in tithing. I believe the Bible teaches we ought to tithe. And you know, I've often heard people say this, you know, just growing up. I've grown up in church my entire life. I've heard many people say many things. And, and sometimes people have this attitude where they'll say, they'll say, I don't, I'm not going to tie. But, but this is what they'll do. They'll put in, they'll, like once a year, they'll put in like $3,000 in the offering. And you know, think about the story of Saul. Is God more impressed with a sacrifice or with obedience? I mean, if you're just putting in $10, you know, I made 
hundred bucks this week, I'm just putting ten dollars in because that's my time. Ten dollars in every week, and then this big shot comes around and says, "Well, I don't give anything, but just you know, once a year, you know, I got my tax return. I'm just gonna give it off to God." Who do you think God's more impressed with? You know, and I'm using the example of that, but just apply that to any part of your life. God's more interested in, in obedience, even if it's a small amount, than in this just huge sacrifice. You know, God is more impressed with the Christian who just takes maybe 15 or 20 or 30 minutes and to read their Bible every day than a guy who says, well, I don't read my Bible, but you know, once a year they go through and read the entire New Testament like one day or something. God's not impressed with that. He's more impressed with somebody being obey, uh, obedient than just having this great one big sacrifice because that's exactly what Saul was trying to do. He was trying to give a sacrifice to God and God said, I'd rather you just obey and that's what we must understand about God. God is not impressed in the same way that we're impressed. But look at Matthew chapter number 6 and look at verse 19. Matthew six nineteen. The Bible does teach that God uses money as a test of our heart. In Matthew six nineteen, the Bible says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Look at verse number 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's what the Bible says. And God knows where your heart is based on where your treasure is. All your money is in the stock market, that's where your heart is. You spend all your money on video games, that's where your heart is. You spend all your money on alcohol, that's where your heart is. You spend all your money on hunting trips, on whatever, that's where your heart is. And guess what? You put your money in the things of God, and God knows that's where His heart is. That's what the Bible says. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, you can look at someone's paycheck, or the checks they write, and you know what they're into, what they love. You know, you look at your bank account and you see McDonald's 1,500 times. Hey, you know, hey, that person loves McDonald's. <laughs> you know, where your treasure is, there where your heart. And God uses, and let me say this, God is not against money. God, there's many godly people in the Bible who had money. Job, Solomon, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's not against people having money. But here's the problem with money, is that so often money reveals what's in your heart. So often money, you know, you come to the place in your life where you've lost everything, you've lost your house, you've lost, you know, your job, you don't know what you're going to do, and you know, and I've seen this my entire life too, and people are just running to God, running, you know, they just, God, God, and then as soon as things get, get a little better, you know, I remember I was, grow, I, I grew up, I used to go to a Spanish church, you know, my parents, we moved here when I was uh, four years old from Venezuela, and we went to, we, we, my whole life up to when I was like in high school, I, I attended a Spanish, you know, independent formal Baptist church uh, in, in Spanish. And I remember so often, these, you know, illegal immigrants would come in, you know, and yeah, they were illegal, whatever, but we'd get them saved and whatever. And they'd come in, they'd have nothing. I mean, they had no car, they had nothing, they didn't know how to speak English, they couldn't do anything, they would just want to get saved, they were just happy to be in church, they were just glad somebody would, and you know, give them a ride and whatever, and so often we watch these people, I mean, literally watch these people, they get some beat up car, they learn a little bit of English, they got a part time job at a fast food place, and all of a sudden they think they're better than God. And we look at it and be like, man, good night. I mean, it's not that great, you know. But, I mean, that small amount of success they got really revealed what was in their heart. And that's what money does. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter number 6 and verse 9, But they that will be rich. It says, someone who's wanting to be rich. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money. Notice it in 
which while some coveted after have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The Bible's not against people having money, but when you love money, you've got a problem. And you know, and my wife and I were talking about this earlier, there's nothing wrong with you having money. There's nothing wrong with you having a retirement account. You know, I honestly believe there's nothing wrong with you, because look, I might, if I might get into those older age and I might not be able to pay for, you know, work. You know, I'm, I'm planning on working until I die. If God gives me the help, I'm going to work till I die. If God gives me the help, I'm going to pastor till I die. I mean, Lord willing, I die at the pulpit while I'm preaching and scare all the little kids, you know. I mean, that's, that's my plan. But if I, you know, but I do want to be, you know, prudent and look ahead, foresee the evil and hide myself, you know. And I want to be able to be prepared for the, that age if I get to a place where maybe I can't work, maybe I get Alzheimer's, maybe I get whatever. I want to be able to survive. So there's nothing wrong with that, but you ought not love that money. And my wife and I were talking about this. The, the, um, the, uh, the, it slipped my mind now, the, the famous uh, parable that Jesus gave about the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, you know, is a parable that everybody knows. But you know, the Good Samaritan was able to help because he had the money to put the guy in hotel. You know, he had the money to pay someone to check up. I mean, he had the resources to be able to be a blessing. And that's what money should be. We should have the money like the apostles. They were given money. Why? So they can buy nice cars and that? No, so they could distribute it. So that they could help people. So that they could be a blessing to people. But when you get money and you give it, you know what that's showing God? Your heart. And that's what the test of money is. And that's what the problem with Ananias and Sapphira was. Uh, go back with me to uh, Acts chapter number 5. Is that they had the money, but they wanted the praise of God's people. They wanted God's people to see them as these great Christians, but they wanted to keep some of it. And God was against it. But look at verse number um, 4. Acts 5, 4. And notice what he says. Well, it remained, was it not in thine own? Was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why has that now, why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? And notice what he says, the last phrase of verse 4, Thou hast not lied unto man, but unto God. And every sin is a sin against God. You know, he's lying to Peter. No, he's lying to God. You know, I remember uh, when David in 2 Samuel, when he was confronted by Nathan over uh, killing Uriah the Hittite and the adultery that he had with Bathsheba, he said in verse 13, the Bible says, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He said, no, no, you sinned against Uriah. Yes, you did sin against Uriah. You sinned with Bathsheba. Yes, you did sin with Bathsheba. Yeah, the child died. Yes, all of that you sinned against people. But all of that was a sin against the Lord. And when Ananias and Sapphira, they agreed to lie to Peter and lie to the church, they were really agreeing to lie to God. And let us just remember and consider God in all we do. Because when we sin, it's a sin against God. But let me show you this. Look at verse number 5. We're almost done. Acts chapter number 5. Look at verse number 5. The Bible says, And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. He died. Notice it says, And great fear came on all them that heard these things. Remember those words, great fear. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And the young men arose, wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. I heard a preacher say, you know, why did she come in three hours after? Well, because that's how long it takes for a woman to get ready for church. You know? He showed up, and then three hours later, she showed up. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Look at verse number 8. And Peter answered unto her, 
tell me whether you sold the land for so, for so much. So he's asking her. You know, because Ananias said, oh, we sold it for this much. So he said, hey, did you sell it for this much? And she said, yay, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost she died. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And notice what it says, Great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. You know, we, we kind of preached on this this Sunday morning when we were preaching about the law, but on Sunday morning we preached about the law, but these new evangelicals will say, the God of the Old Testament was this angry God. He just killed people, he, they just dropped dead, you know, he, they just crossed the line and just killed them. But the God of the New Testament, you know, he's loving it. Well, look, I mean, you know, people need to understand, God doesn't change. God is the same. He was loving in the Old Testament, and he was, you know judgmental in the Old Testament and he's loving and he judges in the New Testament. Because, I mean, can you get more New Testament in Acts chapter number 5? And in Acts chapter 5, we've got two people, they don't get a chance to ask forgiveness, they don't get a chance to get right with God, they don't get, I mean, as soon as they just heard Peter speak and they fell down and they died, God just struck them dead. Oh, but the God of the New Testament, he's some sort of a big Santa Claus Barney type person who just lets you get away with whatever you want. I mean, that's what these people teach. But is that the God? I mean, if you read your Bible, is that the God that we find in the Bible? You say, well, I thought God was gracious. Well, look at verse number 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And the resters, no man joined himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitude both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed everyone. You say, you know, I mean, tell me that's not a gracious God. He's healing people. He's he's, uh, taking people's diseases. You you know, I, I love this story because we see a sharp contrast of God. Not between the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Same God. But we see just God, how He just is just and holy and judges and He killed them for lying. And in the very next verse, the same God is just healing multitudes, having people saved, having people come to you. It's just a sharp God. You know, so often people will say uh, about our church, they'll say, your, your church is not loving. The way you preach, and you guys preach against sin, and you preach all these things about the Bible, and you, you say that abortion's a sin, and you say that birth control's a sin, and you say that women wearing pants is a skin, and you say that uh, a guy wearing, you know, an earring or whatever. You know, you preach all these things, and you're just so unloving. And it's like, well, look, that's how God is. One moment he's just, and then one moment he's loving. He's like, you know, and we try to balance the scales here. We preach the Bible, and we, you know, and, and we try to preach loving, encouraging sermons. But sometimes when it's in the text, we preach what the Bible says. But then you know how we balance that? We just go out and spend eight hours, nine hours, ten hours a week just knocking on doors, getting sick people spiritually healed, loving people, caring for people, calling people, writing them notes, praying for them on our knees, and and you know, giving them rights to your do whatever. We love justice. And, and we see there this sharp contrast between God just, just punishing Ananias and fire for their sin. And in the very next verse, the apostles are just here. And really, it's Peter who was being sharp with them. And the very next verse, Peter, people are just bringing their sick and hoping that his shadow would just
be cast upon them so that they could be healed. You know, and, and you see that balance there of Peter just being straight, you know, down to the point with God's Word. And then also loving people, and that's how we, we ought to be. We ought not be ashamed to preach God's Word. We ought not be ashamed for the things we believe. We ought not be ashamed to, you know, preach the Bible as it should be preached. But at the same time, we balance that out by just knocking on doors, loving on people, helping people, trying to, trying to love people, trying to help them. And, and we find that in this story, and it's a very uh, interesting story here. You know, but I, I want to close with this. You notice a few times where it said, they died and people feared. You know, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In my life, my entire life, I grew up and hearing preachers say, you know, when the Bible says fear, it's not talking about being scared of God, it's just talking about respecting God. And look, yes... I'm sure that's a part of it, but I think God wants us to just be scared. You say, does God want you to be scared? Look, God wants you to be scared to cross a lie. God wants you to be scared to cross Him. God wants us to be scared to lie to God. God wants us to be, have, when the Bible says the fear of the Lord, I believe He wants you to be fear. I, want, I believe God wants you to be in the fear of God. Yes, respect. Yes, love. You know, when I was growing up, I was literally afraid of my dad. And you know, because, you say, what? Because he spanked me. <laughs> I was afraid to cross him. You know, I was afraid to, to upset him. I was afraid to, I was, because he was going to take you know, his belt and whip me with it. And you know, because of that, I respected him. Because of that, I loved him. Because of that, I love him to this day. But there, that fear is associated there. And, and we ought to fear God. You say, fear like respect, fear like like him, fear like, like, no, fear like be afraid to cross him. Because you might end up dead. That's what the Bible says. Well, that's not very loving. Well, read the, read the New Testament. But let's go ahead and bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our church. And thank you, Lord, for Acts chapter number 4.